0: Get in touch with technology with Tech Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com.
1: Hey there, and welcome to Tech Stuff. I'm Jonathan Strickland. And I'm Lauren Bogeman. And today we wanted to look at a topic that has a lot of our listeners interested. I mean, we've received requests on this multiple times.
0: Yes, uh, I I think that I requested this... For myself, because it's a topic of interest, certainly with the amount of flying that I do on occasion.
1: Yeah, yeah. So we're talking about uh, electronics and the FAA and EMI and other uh, initialisms and occasionally acronyms. Uh, yeah, so we're talking about why is it that you can use certain electronics on a plane at certain times? Other times you're not allowed to use them. Uh, unless you reach a certain altitude, and some you're not allowed to use at all.
0: And is playing bejeweled on your phone um really going to make the plane crash?
1: Yeah, uh, and so we're going to cover all that now. It, longtime listeners of Tech Stuff are going to say, "Hey, didn't didn't you, Jonathan and 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 Chris, do something about this long time ago?" And the truth is, yes, we did do an episode where we talked a little bit about electronics and planes. But the the story is, has developed over the years since we recorded that episode. In fact. There was a report in June 2013. That's the year in which we are recording this podcast.
0: Right. Just a couple months back where we are recording this at the beginning of September, by the way.
1: Yep. And uh, and so back in June, there was this report that initially had everyone all excited because it sounded like the FAA was going to lift restrictions on certain electronics during takeoff and landing, meaning that you would not have to switch your Kindle or your, uh, tablet off before the, the plane was leaving uh, the gate.
0: Right, right. Up until, you know, right, right now they usually have you turn everything off before you reach 10,000 feet.
1: Right. And at that point, then you can That's turn considered on. considered
0: cruising altitude at which, um. You can it, turn
1: on approved electronic approved devices. Approved electronics, right. There's a in list. In airplane mode. Yeah, there's a list of approved electronic devices that you can find in whatever. In the magazine. back of your
0: whatever brand magazine. Yeah,
1: whatever whatever airline you happen to be on. So uh, there was a, there was talk that they were going to lift those restrictions and not necessarily lift them on all electronics. So in other words, things like cell phones may still not be allowed to be used uh, outside of airplane mode. But other electronic devices would be allowable uh, even when you were below 10,000 feet.
0: Uh, however, shortly after that, I think in July at some point, um, the FAA sort of said, hey, we were... We need more time to look at this. Yeah,
1: they were essentially actually. saying, like, like it is long overdue for us to look at the effects. However, that being said, that we want to do extensive testing before we just uh, say, yes, it's, it's perfectly fine.
0: Right. So the official report is due out sometime this month. Yes. Supposedly.
1: Yeah, so maybe by the time you hear this podcast, it may be that we have an official word from the FAA. But in which as, case
0: that would be really terrific news gathering on, on our part. Right.
1: Well it's just We're just coming so happens. to you
0: from the incredible past. Yes,
1: yes. And in which case you, you might say, like, wow, this this episode's so quaint that they're talking about this thing. Um, but uh we, we still need to talk about why is there a concern in the first place? And it all boils down to electromagnetic interference or EMI.
0: What is EMI, Jonathan?
1: So, Lauren, you may have heard about this relationship between electricity and magnetism. We've talked about it mm, once or twice per episode <laughs>
0: Yeah, it's one of those things that kind of makes electronics work.
1: Yeah, yeah. In fact, electric motors and dynamos are all based off this relationship between electricity and magnetism. And, of course, the basic way of of demonstrating this is using an electromagnet, which we have all played with at some point or another, I'm sure, even if you don't know it. But if you've ever built one, you know, it's simple. You take like an iron nail and you wrap some copper wire around it in several coils, and then you run a current through that copper wire. It will magnetize the nail so that you can use it like a magnet. You can pick up iron filings, anything that's, you know, that ferromagnetic, uh, a, a feature to it oh, right. you can manipulate
0: until you disconnect the battery
1: right in which case the flow of electrons ends through that that copper wire and eventually the magnetic properties fade away uh now also you can end up moving a copper wire through a magnetic field especially a fluctuating magnetic field and that will induce electricity to flow through the wire so any sort of conductor actually this will happen if a conductor moves through a fluctuating magnetic field that will induce an electric uh, current to flow through that conductor. So this is just that basic relationship between magnetism and electricity. Again, so many of our electronics really depend upon this. And you need the uh, voltage and current. So current is the actual flow. Volta- voltage is the difference in potential uh, right.
0: It, it's like, you know, you get voltage if you plug a lamp into a wall socket, but you don't get current until you switch the lamp on.
1: Exactly. And then once you switch that lamp on, if you were to have some sort of detector, an EMI detector near that, that wire, it would detect the, ma- uh, the magnetic field. It would actually beep or, or buzz or whatever. Mm-hmm, right. And in fact, um, I've seen, Kits where or or instructions online where you can build your own EMI detector out of like an Arduino controller and some for other like pieces. under
0: 50 bucks and under an hour. Yeah.
1: yeah. 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 So if you ever want a fun and I know that that's fun in quotation marks for some of you, but a fun uh, programming project, something that's very simple. Uh, there are a lot of guides online to building a uh, an EMI detector using an Arduino as the the brains of it I saw and a, a few other pieces. I
0: saw a really clear one in um I I believe Popular Mechanics while I was researching for this episode, so mm-hmm. I'll I'll see if I can remember to link that on Twitter.
1: Right, right. And so anyway, the the key here and the reason why you would want an EMI detector there are a couple of reasons. One is that maybe you want to see If any of your devices are using what we call vampire power, that's when the device is continuing to consume electricity, even when it's turned off.
0: Right. It's plugged in, but still running.
1: Yeah. So there are a lot of TVs, for example, that have vampire power issues. They don't when you turn them off, they're not really all the way off. And the reason for that is so that when you turn your television on, the screen comes on quickly. And it's because there was already a low level amount of power being supplied to the set If you were to turn that power completely off, the warm-up time would be a little longer. And as we know, customers uh, get a little uh, antsy uh, if they have to wait for their TVs.
0: Oh, right, right. Uh, That or um, I think some fluorescent bulbs work on similar principles.
1: Right. So uh, so in other words, if you want to be greener or you want to save money on your electric bill – an EMI detector will tell you which devices are still consuming power. And if you like, you could set those up on a power strip that is that will truly turn off because there are plenty of those on the market, too, where you can buy a power strip, plug your devices that use vampire power into that, and then you just use the power strip to to turn it it off,
0: you know, shut off
1: the voltage. For realsies, yeah. So that way you don't have to worry about uh, any more power consumption. Another reason you might worry about EMI is if you have uh, a medical device that is sensitive to such things, like a pacemaker. So uh, people with pacemakers can experience problems. So the pacemakers can can experience conflicting information when you encounter something like electromagnetic radiation.
0: Oh, right. The way that pacemakers work is it detects your heartbeat. And so if it runs into some uh, some EMI, it could misinterpret that as either a, a faulty heartbeat and... and if it's connected to a defilibrator, give you an unwanted electric shock or even possibly misinterpret it as a healthy heartbeat and miss giving you a shock that you need.
1: Right, exactly. So this is why you hear about people with pacemakers having to be very careful about the kind of electronics they come into contact with. Usually there are very uh, uh, simple rules that they follow, things like, if, you, if you've if you got a cell phone, you don't let the cell phone get within, say, six inches of where the device is, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. For
0: the most part, it's not a very big deal. It's the kind of thing that, you know, the, the guidelines are like, well, keep your arc welders a, a good 12 inches away from your chest and right. don't use a jackhammer. Right, um, yes. But, the- <laughs> but,
1: but, but these are things that obviously, you know, you're talking about matters of life and death. Oh, so, absolutely. So clearly, that's why you get these these precautions there. Some of them are perhaps overly cautious but it's in the sense of this is to make sure a person maintains uh you know a, a healthy life
0: oh, sure. with this device and you know anything like a like a cell phone if you've ever put your cell phone cl- too close to your computer speakers oh yeah especially and... if you
1: have external computer speakers and they're mm-hmm. plugged in if if you've bought a pair of uh, uh speakers that you plug in through say a headphone jack and you have ever had your phone near them and you hear this weird kind of electronic stuttering noise goes like, like that. Sounds like someone's trying to signal Send a- you with Morse code. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that actually is due to electromagnetic interference. It's when your phone is either sending out or receiving data. Uh, so, for example, if you're getting text messages or that sort of thing, um, it's those radio waves and the, the signals coming from the phone are interfering with the actual uh, fields that are being generated by those wires. Now, you can create... Really well shielded wires that, that block a lot of this interference.
0: Faraday cage technology has come a very, very, very long way since Mr. Faraday. So.
1: Yeah. So, so we are able to insulate wires really well so that one, we prevent leakage because that is a thing where, where electronics can leak electrons and thus either have errors or they're less efficient as far as power goes. And you can also block interference. So if you've got a really You know, nice pair of speakers or headphones or whatever it is, then that's going to block a lot more of that EMI and you're not going to get those weird little stuttering noises. Uh, so the reason why we're even mentioning this is that on your typical aircraft, there are a few different systems that use wires.
0: Uh, Like all of them. As it it turns out, an aircraft is made of electronics and, you know, the, the, The radio, when it's uh, talking to ground control and air traffic, the radar, which, you know, gets the plane places, which is kind of important.
1: Sure. Yeah, there's a, a there's a specific kind of radio, a CNS radio, also known as communication navigation surveillance radio. That's getting navigation information as the aircraft is traveling. That's a very important piece of equipment. And there are other things as well that could in theory, be affected by electronics uh, and specifically electromagnetic interference. So, if you have a device that gives off a great deal of EMI and you happen to be in an area where you are near the circuitry, close some
0: of the wires. Yeah, right.
1: then you could introduce some interference. So that's the biggest fear, right? Well, here's the thing: is that most aircraft are shielded pretty well against this sort of stuff, but it the the concern is still there because again, you're talking about a, uh, maybe it's a low risk, but it's a high impact problem, obviously. So it may not happen frequently, but if it does happen, that could be catastrophic, which is again, is why we have these, these really tight restrictions on electronics. It's not so much that, uh, they aren't, that the government is unaware or the FAA is unaware that most electronic devices put out a very, very tiny footprint when it comes to this sort of stuff. They're aware of that, but they're also aware that the, the potential Outcome of a worst case scenario is absolutely catastrophic. So, with that in mind, that's when you you know you have to try and, and prevent the worst case scenario from happening. Uh, now, all of this dates back to the 1960s, really, and that's when uh, it became pretty clear that handheld electronic devices could be an issue. You see, there are different. Sources of EMI or interfer- oh, I'm about to, to same thing is same thing as ATM machine or pin number. <laughs> EMI A- interference. EMI interference. Okay, uh, there there are several sources of EMI, not just your you know cell phone or your e-reader or tablet or whatever. Sure. There's stuff like lightning.
0: Yeah, and and records about that go back to about the 1930s. I think 1938 is when we started having uh, in in the United States anyway FAA regulations about how to protect planes from lightning strikes.
1: Right now. You know, lightning is a very powerful, powerful thing. Obviously, you're talking about uh, incredible amounts of energy with a a typical lightning strike. But even today, like if you were to talk about a direct lightning strike, because planes do get hit by lightning. If you were if you're in a plane and you got hit by lightning, that lightning is going to have a minimal impact on the aircraft because aircraft have been designed since the 30s to resist Lightning strikes to, to be able to continue operation with minimal, if any, interruption in any kind of service to uh, make sure that you know we can get there safely and from point A to point B. And so I've, I've actually been in a plane that's been struck by lightning. I, I, I was sitting at a window seat right there by the wing. It was spectacular. That <laughs> but,
0: spectacular sounds like one word for it.
1: But and I was a kid at the time. I just thought it was cool. Oh, okay, yeah. So no, that's, uh, as but, a
0: kid, that would be great.
1: It, and it, and nothing. Nothing happened. Like there was not a flicker mm-hmm. of lights. Nothing. Nothing scary happened, other than the fact that I saw lightning hit the plane, um, which i certain some of our listeners would argue is terrifying. But uh, <laughs> I thought it was kind of cool at the time.
0: Um, but but uh, other as, things too, right? Uh, well. As, as we started developing more portable electronics, and I'm not talking about your your iPhone. I'm talking about uh, radio and, and electronic devices that helped to um, uh, autonomize flight.
1: Oh yes, sure, yeah, uh, which, yeah, yeah, which
0: is what started happening in the '60s, which is why these regulations started popping up. Sure, around
1: yeah, that was the rise of two different things, just like you were pointing out: uh, the fact that we were getting things like like uh, the uh, aut- automatic pilot type of, uh, mm-hmm. of technology, as well as the fact that the transistor had suddenly made electronics portable
0: right that whole thing that that thing where computers no longer had to be the size of say an airplane they could be a little bit smaller Enough, or a radio
1: a radio is the size of your television console which is also the size of your cadillac
0: (laughs) (laughs) right also did i just say autonomate because that's amazing
1: well hey i I, all i can tell you is that i come from a a suburban area long-time listeners of tech stuff will appreciate that reference i still haven't lived that one down uh, but yeah, we're, we're talking about the fact that, that you suddenly had people capable of bringing electronic devices aboard a plane on their person, because now they were small enough to do that. And we had these more sensitive devices uh, that were part of plane systems. And it became clear that... A, a something as simple as a compact radio receiver could interfere with VHF omni-ranging navigation systems aboard an aircraft.
0: These were studies being done by NASA at the time.
1: Yeah, NASA did this, and so did uh, the the Radio Technical Commission for Aeronautics did one uh, which, study, which
0: at the time was still a actual part of the government. I think at this point in time, it's a um, independent not for profit company that is. Uh, tasked with all of the research that the FAA wants done.
1: Mm. So the the big paper that came out in the 60s that kind of set the rules for what we think of today as, you know, f- follow these instructions and you can use electronic devices. Uh, the paper is called Interference to Aircraft Electronic Equipment from Devices Carried Aboard. So that's where we got this idea that personal electronic devices or PEDs, PEDs, are a potential source of malfunction or dysfunction aboard an aircraft. So, it's a complicated issue in the 1970s it got more complicated because that's when the aircraft industry really began to look at other sources of EMI, not just lightning strikes, but things like broadcast towers. Uh, we have all these different radio towers, television towers, communication towers that are sending out vast amounts of information right. via radio. Right.
0: Words. The 1970s was also, if you remember, from our recent uh, Cutting the Cord cable podcast. That was when many cable companies started um, started transmitting to larger areas.
1: Yeah. So we've got all these different potential sources of EMI. And again, the aircraft needed to be shielded against that sort of stuff.
0: Yeah. Then, then again, around, uh, 2003 and 2004, when we started seeing more, uh, more cellular phones being carried onto planes, that was when we started getting a few studies about these, um, they, they call them, uh, transmitting PEDs or T-PEDs.
1: Yeah. Right. Which, which which
0: are transmitting signals on purpose.
1: Right. So you've got two different kinds of PEDs then, right? You've personal electronic devices. You've got your kind that will transmit Information or, or at least rather transmit electromagnetic interference simply through the operation, but they're not, it's, that's not their main purpose. It's just a byproduct by the fact that they are electronics, that they
0: are powered. And then
1: you have the, the transmitting ones that are specifically things like radios or cell phones, that kind of stuff that are, uh, emitting and receiving, uh, radio waves or other signals. So. Uh, If you look at your list of approved electronic devices, you're going to see a lot of the PEDs on there. And uh, for the ones that don't make the list, you're going to see some T-PEDs on there. Although there's some changes, obviously, because now we have things like Wi-Fi aboard planes. Mm -hmm. And Wi-Fi allows us to use things like you can use a cell phone in airplane mode that can connect via Wi-Fi. Or you can use a laptop that has Wi-Fi. So there's some confusion here, at least among the consumer level. About, well, why can I use these devices that do have wireless communication standards attached to them, but not these other devices that use s- different standards?
0: And further complicating it, there's some international flights that will allow you to use a cellular phone for cellular purposes on, on a flight, but it's a, in that specific case, they're connecting to a ground station that is capable of dealing with the fact that um, that you're in a 500-mile-per-hour, what's that, like 800-kilometer-per-hour moving airplane. Yeah. Otherwise, you're going to start mucking up the cellular system. Well,
1: the fact that you'd be doing those handshakes every five seconds as you move from one cellular tower to another, in fact, that's that's also the way that uh, if you've ever been on a plane that had a phone in the back of one of the seats in front of you where you could swipe your credit card and use the phone, same sort of thing where it was using specific ground uh, uh I, I don't think any of them were satellite phones. That would have been pretty incredible. But I think all of them used the ground uh, central control thing where you would, depending upon your position and among your flight, you would call into a very specific uh, station. They were also really expensive. Um, so NASA, when it was looking at EMI threats, it classifies threats in three ways. Uh, it looks at the source, the path and the victim. So the source is whatever device is actually generating the EMI. The path is how that EMI travels through space, whether it's radiating out from the from the source. device
0: itself, or whether it is uh, connected to a to a power line, to a ground line.
1: Right. Yeah. Whether it's transmitting I guess g-
0: ground line doesn't count in the air. <laughs> <Yeah>. but...
1: <laughs> well, if it's if it's connected to the power source of the plane, or if it's connected directly into some other system of the plane, because we're not just talking about the Electronics that we carry on board. There are electronic devices that are, that the crew are using, but that can connect directly to flight systems. Uh, that sort of thing. But how does that EMI travel from the device? And in the case of all PEDs, really, we're talking radiating here. It's, it's not directly connected to the flight systems. And then the victim is whatever system would be affected by that. And again when we were talking about the different systems that could be affected on a plane one of the most um vulnerable really traditionally at any rate is that communication navigation surveillance radio the CNS radio so uh, this is one that of course it, the name kind of gives it away it get, it's part of the navigation system for the plane and errors from EMI could mean that the pilot has erroneous information Or that some of his instruments or her instruments are not properly displaying the right kinds of data, which could lead to, uh, to human error or it could actually lead to another. To a computer error. Yeah. And the the computer might, might suddenly uh, see that there are changing parameters and try to adjust for that when in fact the parameters aren't changing. So that's where the concern is. Uh, but does it really happen? Well, We'll get into the actual uh, results, sort of thing. Talk about some actual reported, assumed incidents in oh, some right. cases.
0: Some some studies. Yeah, there's little quotey marks in the air that have been. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah. but well, some some studies that have been done.
1: We'll talk about those in just a minute. But first, let's take a quick break to thank our sponsor. And now let's get back to some EMI information. Some let's really talk about what the documented incidents like actual documented cases of personal electronic devices causing problems with aircraft?
0: Technically, there are none.
1: Oh, I, I've got a whole bunch of documented ones that maybe. Well, OK, okay, okay, well, okay. okay. Yeah. it depends
0: on it depends on what we mean by documented, because in all of these cases, uh, we're, we're going to be talking about studies from several different organizations and um as far as I have read, none of them were reproducible in a lab setting.
1: Right. See, here's the problem is that a lot of these are, what happens is, is, is some error happens. Something goes the plane, wrong. Right. Something goes wrong on the plane and then they start to look for the cause. Right. So this is where we get the effect and then we're looking for the cause. And in those cases, someone aboard the plane was identified as being, as using a device
0: near wiring that would have mattered.
1: And so the, while there's no direct evidence supporting the fact that the device caused the error, that was the conclusion drawn in these incident reports. So it may very well be that the reports and what happened have nothing to do with each other. It may be that the cause of these errors was completely independent of any sort of personal electronic device use. And in fact, like you said, Lauren, when it comes to trying to reproduce these in in the lab settings – we're having some trouble getting stuff to go wrong on purpose. Uh, in fact, I think Mythbusters did a full episode on this, too, where they showed that the devices just don't generate signals powerful enough to really interfere with the the typical systems you find aboard a plane today. Now, granted, keep in mind, if we go back five decades, it's a different story. But today we've got planes that are shielded against broadcast transmissions and lightning strikes, uh most of them can handle it if you turn the page so you can find out if Tyrion lives another day. <laughs> Spoiler alert. No, I'm not going to do it. You guys you guys just have to wait. You guys uh, George R R Martin and I <laughs> we're buddies, you know. I just just the, don't get too attached. That's all I'm saying.
0: And 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 I and I do want to say that the the best correlations that I've read about happened around the mid 1990s um as a more powerful transmitting Personal electronic devices were coming out, but perhaps before planes had started taking into account the fact that a lot of passengers would have had those.
1: Right, right. So, so, so there, in the past, there could have been some truly legitimate incidents that we're going to be talking about. In fact, one of the studies I'm going to talk about specifically looked at, uh, incidents between 1986 and 1999. Now that's before the smartphone Explosion in the, in the consumer marketplace, right? I mean, you gotta go to about 2007 when the iPhone started coming out to really get to that. It's before tablets, well, t- not technically before tablets, before <laughs> tablets were really a right, thing. Right. Uh, even your laptop in that era, era was uh, not the easiest thing to carry onto a plane. But uh, between 86 and 99, according to NASA, there were 118 EMI incidents on planes due to PED interference. Um, 118 is not a lot, but for, for more than, for more more than, than a, decade. a decade for all flights. I mean, there are thousands of flights a day. Then you multiply that by how many days there are in a year, multiply that by how many years in this study. And it's a tiny, tiny amount of incidents. And you think about this. I'm guessing that uh, electronics use is not that rare (laughs) aboard a plane. But anyway, out of the 118, about 25 of those, actually 25 of those exactly, were cell phone related. 25 were laptop related. 14 were related to electronic games. 13 were tape recorder related. 13 were radio related. 12 were not identified at all. 7 were CD players. Uh, And other devices included a dictaphone. (laughs) Which, wow, it
0: really was the 80s. I
1: can't can you imagine sitting next to someone on a plane who's using a dictaphone? I can. I, I can imagine that don't clearly. Don't like to. A calculator, a portable TV, and one Baldwin who refused to turn his electronic device off despite being told multiple times to do so. Um that actually is not true. I'm just making that part up because that can happen later than 99. So by comparison, uh there's another report that the FAA put out that looked at flights between 91 and 2013 that identified 135 incidents. And again, now here, here we have more than two decades of flights and 135 incidents. Um, and it's just like you said, Lauren, none of these were necessarily connected by evidence. It was all anecdotal, really. It was the idea that something has gone wrong with the instrumentation. Uh, the flight attendants and the, the crew in general started looking to see if anyone was using an electronic device, asked them to turn it off, and then said things were fine afterward. But this does not necessarily mean that there's a causation issue there. There's a correlation issue. We see these two things co-related because they're happening at the same time in the same place. But that does not necessarily mean that one caused the other.
0: Right, right. Um, There was an independent study done by uh, Boeing on um, in 1998. They received word that uh, that a customer's, um, quote unquote, palm top computer palm top. I love that term. Mm. um, Anyway, uh, had 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 caused the airplane to initiate a shallow bank turn and turning the device off made it stop turning it back on made it start up again huh and and so they were like oh, this looks like a thing but again in in a in a laboratory situation they tried they they bought versions of of whatever palm top computer device was right. in use and and tried to make it happen again and could not so
1: yeah, and, and other studies seem to follow that same anecdotal approach. The International Air Transport Association uh, released a paper talking about 75 cases of aircraft dysfunction between 2003 and 2009. Uh, now, that's a six-year span right there, and 75 cases in six years, while still very, very tiny, is more – uh, that's more frequently than the other two studies had indicated. But even this report was just based on airline crews beliefs that specific malfunctions were due to the use of electronic devices on board.
0: Right. Um The last time that an official study was done by the FAA, uh, by specifically that Radio Technical Commission for Aeronautics, or I think it's just called the RTCA these days, these days since it's a private corporation now, Um they they did a study also from 2003 to 2009 and concluded that there was insufficient information.
1: Yeah. Which right. is always my, my favorite
0: my favorite kind of conclusion.
1: That's the my favorite kind whenever I'm searching for something specific online and it's just that I have either misspelled something or put things that make sense to Jonathan but not to the rest of the world. Uh, yeah, it's uh it's interesting that one of the the cases that they talked about in that IATA report was that yeah, when a laptop was being used, a plane's clock started to spin backwards. But I think there might also have been a doctor on board that plane, <laughs> perhaps with a sonic <laughs> screwdriver. Um,
0: or maybe they were they were really close to this to this weird island that a whole bunch of people got lost on this one time. I don't know.
1: I don't know. I only watched the first six episodes of that series, so I, I only kind of get that reference. Uh, yeah, it, these are. Uh, Again, the, the fact that there were things that happened in the field or in the air, if you prefer, um, that, that leads us to have some concern, obviously. Oh, sure, but, sure. But when it comes down to trying to actually track down the cause, it seems like we're going down a rabbit hole. Now, uh, passenger behavior suggests that maybe we really need to just concentrate on shielding the heck out of all the airplane systems and just go ahead and assume that people are going to use their electronics whenever they want, no matter what the rules happen to say, because, spoiler alert, that's kind of what's happening already. Um, The FAA, FAA, again, did a survey of passengers and found that only 60% of passengers report following the instructions to turn off all electronic devices before uh, takeoff and and before landing. Um, So that means 40%, just under half, are not doing that. Shame on you. Uh I mean granted, if the rules are silly, let's let's change the rules. But follow the rules. Certain, I guess I'm well, I'm lawful evil.
0: It's 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 difficult sometimes. I mean for for example, I have a Kindle and um it is this specific kind of Kindle does not have an off button. Right. It is physically impossible to turn it off. I can turn off the Wi-Fi function. Right. Um which I usually keep off to save the, the battery, battery life. Sure. Right. But um but it, it drives me crazy that if I'm sitting there and reading a book and minding my own business, you know, and, and, and well-meaning flight attendants will say, hey, turn that off. And I say, I'll shut it.
1: Right. Now, now you but- have stopped me from reading the thing I was reading, but I was not but using any power.
0: I wasn't using any power, and it's not going to make a difference in the power usage, whether, whether I close the cover and put it down or not. It's, right. It's, you're, right. You're only preventing me from doing something that I enjoy. Well, the
1: only time that you consume any power with an e-reader that doesn't have its Wi-Fi turned on is when you turn, turn a page, page. Right. Because that has to regenerate that ink. But once the ink is in place, then it's set. It doesn't need to continually ex- uh, ex- you know exert power to do that. That's why e-reader battery life is so incredible compared to other electronics. Right. As long as they're using e-paper. e-paper. Right. As e-dink. long as they're using e-ink yeah. or e-paper, then that's why. Um, so the fact that passenger behavior has shown that people are uh, unwilling to turn things off, whether it's on purpose or just through lack of attention or whatever – Uh, That suggests to me that we have to really look at, you know, you just have to assume that people are using electronics on board that plane, no matter what the rules are, because otherwise, if you don't assume that, you're not going to take the precautions necessary to make sure that the flight is as safe as possible.
0: Sure. Uh, To to be fair, these devices are useful to the staffs of airplanes as well. Um, And and
1: in fact, many people do use them.
0: Right, right. On American Airlines, I think they they use iPads in the cockpit in order to not have to tote around those giant paper manuals all the time. Time. And uh and the FAA does have like a six month clearance process for for getting that approved um through rigorous testing. Right. But I feel like once you've approved cockpit use yeah. for a tablet, it should where, be where you would
1: think that most of the gauges at least are
0: <laughs> I certainly have fewer of them on my seat yeah. when I fly
1: it's so irritating when the pilot comes back into row 38 and leans over and says I just need to look at something really quickly to make sure that we're going the right way and know, then right? goes back up I hate that you know, especially for those short flights. It's just it's ridiculous. Um, yeah, no, clearly I agree. And and we do think that we're going to see some looser restrictions on what what devices you can use and when you can use them. I think that cell phones are going to probably be the longest holdout, um, at least in the United States. Like you said, Lauren, there are some other airlines, international airlines that allow cell phone use, but in the US it's <sighs> The I, FAA has resisted it quite a bit. I
0: think, I think it would be a matter of, of, putting down the infrastructure and that at the current moment there's not enough, um, perceived benefit. Right. To actually put forth I, the money to
1: do I, so. I think most, I think most, um, I don't know that most people, I think there are plenty of people who share my mindset, which is that please don't let people talk on the phone on the plane. Please.
0: Certainly, unless I had significantly more space around me on an airplane, I would not want my neighbors to be able to be on a phone for the entire flight.
1: Wi-Fi? Fine. Fine. As long as they're not using Skype, (laughs) (laughs) which they probably can't because usually the Wi-Fi aboard a plane is 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 pretty pretty awful. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, that's where we are now, and who knows, maybe by the time this podcast goes live, the FAA will have lifted some of those restrictions, and Lauren, you might even be allowed to read your book while the the, the plane is taxiing to take off.
0: That's ridiculous. I yeah. look forward to this ridiculous future.
1: I also look forward to it, because I uh, just recently put in my uh, registration information for CES 2014, so I've got definitely got a flight coming up in my future. Yay. All right, so, uh, guys, that wraps up this discussion about the electronics and the FAA, and we'll see, again, how this plays out. Why don't you guys write in? Tell us what you think. Let us know if, uh, you know, are you one of those people who you just you know, quietly keep all your electronics running on at full blast? Maybe you're like me and one day discovered in mid-flight that you had forgotten to turn off your cell phone when it suddenly started vibrating in your pants. Uh, That happened to me once. I was very embarrassed. Or maybe, maybe you're a person who you always follow the rules and you find anyone who doesn't follow the rules to be the most irritating person on the planet ever at that particular moment. I also can be that guy. I, I'm the one who gives the stink eye to the person sitting next to me. Who I can't imagine that, Jonathan? Yeah, you know <laughs> we all have our we all have our flaws. So write in and let us know what you think. Our email address is Techstuff at dot com, or drop us a line on Facebook or Twitter. Our handle there is techstuffhsw. And hey, 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 what if I wanted to tumble someplace?
0: You can, you can tumble on the fine floor of our podcast studio, Jonathan. Um, Okay. Or or you can, uh, in a gymnastics way, or, um, you can, you can find, (laughs) you can find us on Tumblr. Our, our handle there is also techstuffhsw.
1: I hit my head. All right, guys. Well, that wraps this up. We'll talk to you again really soon. No, you got an ice pack over there.